the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. How far does your reputation for being a follower of Christ go? Who knows that you are a follower of Christ? In a day when there was no information technology like we have today, their faith in Jesus was being reported all over the known world. Their reputation for being devoted followers of Christ was well-known around the world. In today's message, Pastor Gary will ask a question that could be a little bit uncomfortable for some. How well are you known as a Christian? In the New Testament, people knew if you were a Christian or not. Back then, people spent time with other followers of Jesus, helped in their community, and shared the gospel of Jesus. But now, do people know that you're a Christian by your actions? Or do they know about your faith because of a Facebook post? Take the time to inspect your life and faith. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The proof of his humanity was that he was a descendant of David. And the proof of his divinity was that through power, he was declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. It's interesting too, the word declared there in verse 4, and who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God. The word declared in the Greek is horizo. We get our English word horizon. Horizon is the line that is the furthest visible thing that separates heaven and earth. And it is the true line of demarcation between heaven and earth. And so in that sense, Jesus is the true line of demarcation here about what is true and what is right, that he is in fact as according to his human nature, descendant of David, according to his divinity, he was raised from the dead with the power of God, and he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he says in verse 5, through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Called to be saints. A lot of times that word saints we think as, you know, some human being who's been, you know, venerated in some way. And so, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, there's a lot of saints, saint this, saint, saint that. And the fact of the matter is that the word saint is a word that applies to all who are believers. 
It's okay. The person sitting next to you is a saint. I know you don't believe it, but the person sitting next to you is a saint. If they know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, the Greek word is hagios. It just means one who was consecrated, one, one who was set apart now unto the Lord. So we're all saints in the truest sense of the word. You don't have to die to become one. You already are one in a biblical sense because you belong to Christ. So to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a common introduction of Paul's in the letters that he writes, grace and peace. By the way, it's in that order. They're twins often written together. Grace was the common Greek greeting, charis. Peace was the common Hebrew greeting, shalom. And so together it greets both Gentiles and Jews, grace and peace. Ten times Paul begins various epistles with that phrase, grace and peace to you. Peter uses that phrase twice in his epistles. John uses it once also in the book of Revelation. Grace and peace. Verse 8, he says, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Now stop and imagine that. How far does your reputation for being a follower of Christ go? Who knows that you are a follower of Christ? In a day when there was no information technology like we have today, their faith in Jesus was being reported all over the known world. Their reputation for being devoted followers of Christ was well known around the world. When I read that in my studies, it just challenged me. I just thought, you know, here's this church that has a reputation around the world. And I took it personally. I'm not taking it corporately. Like, you know, is our church, is Cornerstone known around the world? That's not, that's not what challenged me. What challenged me is on a personal level is, you know, when, when people meet you and they know you, when people meet me and know me, does my reputation for Christ precede me? Is it known about you? Is it known about me that you are a follower of Christ? Whether or not people like it or not, is it just a reputation that you have? The reputation of the church at Rome was that around the world people knew about their devotion and their faith in Jesus. In verse 9, he says, God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. And notice again his example of a prayer life. He says here in a couple of ways. He said, in my prayers at all times. He says, and I pray. And so, you know, he's a praying man. Although we should be challenged to be more praying people. He's a praying man here. He says he prays for the church all the time. And, and one of his prayers is that God would open a way for him to be able to come to the church there in Rome. He has a desire to be with them and to minister with them and to share with them. But he's going to leave that up to the Lord. But he's a man who prays. It's another point that I'm challenged by. Just between verses 8 through 10. It's like, well, who knows that you're a Christian? How much do you pray? All right? If nobody else is convicted, the Bible study is just for me. Verse 11. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you 
just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Of course, he's speaking about a spiritual harvest. You know, he looks forward to the opportunity of seeing great fruitfulness in their fellowship. And so, you know, he just wants to be a part of that. He says, you know, I long to come to invest in you, to plant the seeds, and, and for God to give the increase and to see a harvest uh, as a result of the ministry of the church there. He says in verse 14, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. And then verse 16, he says here this often quoted verse, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then just a little bit of verse 18, and then we'll backtrack. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. All right, let's back up because I want to just break down. Between verses 16, 17, and 18, what we understand that he says here concerning the gospel are three things. First, that the gospel is the power of God. That's verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, again, along these same lines of taking these things personally, I hope that when you read your Bibles, you're reading at it, not detached, but I hope you're putting yourself in the scene and you, and you ask yourself, all right, Paul's challenging the people of, at the Church of Rome, you know, and I should receive the challenge myself. So, you know, back in verse 8, it's like, well, who knows about my reputation for following Christ? And then how much am I praying in verse 10? Well, now here it comes to verse 16. How much are we ashamed about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but there will be plenty of people who will push back because of your devotion to Christ and because your love for his word. And Paul says here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, listen, this is something that all of us need to consider because there's probably been a time or two in all of our lives when given the situation, we don't want to feel embarrassed, awkward, uncomfortable, or the odd man out. And so we, in essence, either don't say anything about our faith, or we even worse, pretend we're not a Christian because we're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now think about different times in your life, think about different encounters, different parties, different work environments, different situations where you've been, different family reunions, different holiday events, when you frankly didn't want somebody else to know that you're a Christian. And Paul's challenging us here. He says, you know what? Anybody else might be ashamed, but he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, one of the reasons why he's so motivated to be bold about the gospel is because it is the power of God for the salvation for all who believe. That there is something intrinsic about the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God that when it goes out, and he's going to say later in Romans, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it is remarkable to me that when the gospel goes forth, the work of God happens through his word. And Paul says here, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes people's lives. Look, I know that there are a lot of churches that are into a lot of different philosophies of ministry. And God bless all the churches that have the same goal in mind of trying to reach people for Christ. And people at different churches employ different methods to reach people for Christ. But I got to tell you something. You can do all the fancy things that you want to do in a church. But if it is at the expense of the gospel, it will never change a human heart. 
Because only the gospel of Jesus Christ will effectively change the heart of a human being. And when the gospel of Jesus Christ is watered down or worse, not even taught, you are never going to effectively offer people the life-changing gift that comes from God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so powerful. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it because I know every place that the gospel goes out, and, and he is, of course, is personalizing this. Every time he has an opportunity to share the gospel, to be a vessel of the gospel, I know it's going to change people's lives. And I know that this is powerful and therefore I don't want to be ashamed about it because I know it's the remedy for every sick and dying soul that, that is lost without Jesus. We must not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is going to be increasingly more awkward and difficult in a politically correct world to be bold about your faith and to be courageous about the word of God. But we must not shrink back. We must not be ashamed. We must not be embarrassed. Because, folks, listen, Christ was never ashamed or embarrassed for us. Why should we be for him? When Christ hung on a cross, and to be modest, you know, artist's rendering is always like a loincloth around him. That's not typically the way historically it would be done. Those criminals were crucified naked. The most shamed, embarrassed, awkward thing for a person, and not to mention painful and excruciatingly, you know, inhumane. And he experienced all this shame, and he experienced all this embarrassment, and all this awkwardness and all this humiliation for you and me. So the next time any of us ever start to feel a little embarrassed or ashamed of Jesus or the gospel of Jesus Christ, remember the cross. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now notice this. He says, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Now why the, why the special treatment here? First for the Jew. Then for the Gentile. Well, in the margin of your Bible, you can write that the Jew is first in privilege and first in penalty. First in privilege, first in penalty. If you glance on over to chapter 2, he makes the second point about first in penalty and and privilege in in, uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 9 and 10. He says this, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. So notice what he says there, that the Jew is first in privilege, but also first in penalty. Now, why is the Jew first in privilege? The answer is because, listen, by God's providential decision, he birthed a nation out of nothing. When God's redemptive plan was for himself to come into the world, he actually created a race of people through whom he would emerge. There were no Jewish people prior to Abraham. Abraham himself was not Jewish. He became the father of the Jews, but he himself was not Jewish. He was a Gentile. There were no Jews. He was a Gentile worshiping in the Ur of Chaldees, which is in modern Iraq, He was just a Gentile pagan, but there was something about his heart, something about his life that God providentially selected him to be the father of a great nation. And out of Abraham's seed came forth Isaac, Jacob, Yaakov, and the Jewish race. So that ultimately Messiah could come, Jesus, to die for the sins of the world. So 
the reason why the Jews are considered first in privilege is because these are a special people that God has brought about as a race that didn't exist for the purpose of the redemption of mankind. Now, first in privilege, but not first in position. We're all positionally the same before Christ. There's neither Greek nor nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ, is what Paul says in Galatians. But in terms of like the privilege of hearing the gospel, since they were the vehicle through which Messiah came, and Paul being a Jew himself, is going to reach his people first. But there is responsibility. If you are first in privilege, you will also be first in penalty. That's what he says in chapter 2. So, verse 17, for in the gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Again, that word faith appears 40 times in the book of Romans, more than any other epistle that Paul writes. He mentions the word faith more than any other epistle. And so the gospel reveals the righteousness from God. So the gospel, the good news, brings to light the redemptive plan of God for us, the righteousness from God revealed for us that is by faith. Now, righteousness is just the right standing before God. None of us inherits right standing before God. None of us can work hard enough to get right standing before God. And this is this whole message of what righteousness is. How then do you get right standing with God? Through faith in what Christ has done. So this is the gospel. This is the good news. If you've ever felt like you don't measure up to God, welcome to the human race. So what's the remedy then? If none of us is good enough to get to God, well, the remedy is not that you work hard enough to become good enough. The remedy is you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You put your faith and trust in what Christ has done on the cross. That's why Jesus said it is finished, because he finished that redemptive plan for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. So the gospel reveals this righteousness that is from God. And then, now... Here comes, there's like good news, bad news in the book of Romans that you're going to find. It's, it's like the good news, bad news. It's, it's kind of like the guy who, who died and went to heaven. And um, now this is not theologically correct. It's just a joke, friends. All right, go with me. And so his buddy back on earth um, got a visitation from his friend who had gone to heaven and said, I, I have good news and bad news. He said, what? He said, good news is there's baseball in heaven. And his friend is like this huge baseball fan. He's like, you're kidding me. He says, no, 24-7, baseball constantly. Everybody's playing baseball in heaven. It's incredible. You're going to love it when you get up here. And his friend says, well, what's the bad news? He said, well, you're pitching on Thursday. So anyway, <laughs> Romans is like good news, bad news. And so, you know, here's all this good news. Like there's a righteousness from God and the power of the gospel and there's good news here. And, you know, it's, it's right standing with him and the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel and all this stuff. And then he goes, but let me tell you about the wrath of God that's going to be revealed against all the ungodliness and wickedness of the world. It's like, oh, great. Okay, well, here comes the other part of it. Because the gospel suppressed reveals the wrath of God. And this is the part of God's justice here that Paul wants us to understand, wants the church at Rome to understand as well. And so, again, verse 18, notice here, he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness, King James says, ungodliness, and wickedness, King James says, unrighteousness, of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is 
plain to them. This is interesting. We're going to talk about it because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So he's going to make the argument, and again, this is why Stanford University Law School 100 years ago followed the way that he expresses himself because he's going to make a brilliant case here about why God is justified in revealing his wrath against people. It's not an expression of God being an unjust God. Quite to the contrary, it's an expression of God being quite a just God because people are without excuse. Well, how are people without excuse? He's going to explain it here. Now, I'm going to break down for you here. You're going to notice over the rest of chapter 1 and next week when we get into chapter 2 that God gives a testimony of himself. And this, it, Paul's going to make three arguments here about how God gives a testimony of himself and therefore because he does, he is just in executing judgment against those who have suppressed the truth and denied the reality of who God is. It's not like they didn't know. And this is going to, in part, answer that question. Some of you are like, you know, maybe not some of you particularly, but I guarantee some of your friends who have pushed back on the gospel message and the whole thing about Jesus being the only way, and then they come up with this one. You ever heard this one? What about the guy on the island that's never heard about Jesus? You know, what, what's the answer for that guy? What about the guy on the island? You know why they often ask about the guy on the island? Because they just are trying to divert the truth that they are accountable to. So they, if they can just kind of point to the guy in the island, God's going to take care of the guy in the island because we're going to see the guy in the island right here in chapter one in just a minute. But the way that he reveals himself here are three particular ways. He's going to reveal himself in chapter one to the heathen through creation. All right. We're going to read that in a minute. And then in chapter two, he reveals himself to the hypocrite through conscience. And then also into chapter 2, the latter party reveals himself to the Hebrew through commandments. So we're going to deal with basically the first category is the unrighteous. Second category is the self-righteous. The third category is the righteous. He's going to deal first with those who just don't know. They're the heathen. They're the person who doesn't know about Christ. You know, how can they understand who God is? And then he's going to move on to the hypocrite, the person who understands, but they don't live it out. And then thirdly, he's going to talk about the Hebrew, the Jewish people who have the commandments of God revealed uh, through the finger of God. So we're going to look at just the first one uh, tonight, having to deal with chapter one here and talk about how God reveals himself through creation. Now, again, it says here, verses 18, 19, and 20, that God is revealing his wrath from heaven because of the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress. Notice this is intentional. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. And God says here, because what may be known about him is plain to them. If you have a King James Bible, it says, is manifest in them. This is very fascinating because what God says is, he says, listen, men are without excuse. They have actually suppressed my revelation of who I am. By their wickedness. They have decided to engage in evil, wicked behavior and to deny my reality and my existence. He says it has been made plain to them, NIV says. King James says it is manifest in them. Now, how is the revelation of God manifest in people who don't even know God? Answer, Genesis 1-1. 
Every single human being is created in the image and likeness of our Creator. We are all created, therefore, with what we would call a God consciousness. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the Book of Romans. Isn't Paul's faith inspiring? Did you know you can download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you wherever you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word right at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you in person, too, at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m., or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to shake your hand and answer any questions you may have about the study about Cornerstone Chapel, or about how you can have a relationship with God. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can listen to additional teachings from this study or read accompanying resources on our site as well. Just look under the Teachings tab. That's all we have for today, but join us next time to learn more from the Book of Romans right here on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.